welcome to the Parenting Podcast. Moms, wherever you are in your parenting journey, or however you became a mom, we want to come alongside, addressing your questions and concerns with helpful insight to lighten your load as we dive into the reality of parenting. We are your co-hosts, Cheryl and Ellen, and we want to share practical answers, but our goal is to have relevant discussions that give you heart and strengthen you both today and for the years ahead. So join us now at the TPP table as we share together, helping you flourish and bringing your heart hope. Did you get lunch today, Cheryl? When I when I was talking to you, you hadn't eaten yet. Did you finally get uh, Yeah, I actually did. You told me to, to take my time. But I had to get here well, to the true. studio. And so I ate some sitting down. Then I grabbed it and was eating while I was getting ready to come. You know, well, there weren't as many minutes in my day as I thought there were going <laughs> to be. And I just spent so much of the day before we came here. And since we've been here on tech. And so it's just this huge learning curve related to the podcast. Actually, this morning, I had two different app subscriptions we have to help us. And I had both of them. I was chatting with two different techs at the same time, and I would just go back and forth between them. And they would show me something, and I'd go up and look, and can I do that? And then, then they'd go, Bing! And so then I would go back to the other one. So, boy. <laughs> so, yes, I did actually eat. Was it a low tech sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. And that's much more my style. I'm kind of a practical eater. I spent my whole adulthood buying and cooking yeah. and cleaning up and in the kitchen that's with our family. Yeah. It was important. And now as an empty nester widow, I have to kind of make myself sometimes eat the way I should or. Just remember to eat. Yeah. Also, to sit myself down and, and to do it like a real meal yeah. rather than kind of fast food myself, even though I'm using food for my home. Right. But just uh-huh. kind of making it really simple and quick and yes. get done. And, and see, this is different from you because you're much more of a gourmet. And you've been all these places. Yeah, that's true. I've always loved to cook. Even when I was a teenager, I loved to get the cookbooks out and cook. And because we've lived all around the world, we've, you know, got to have some amazing meals and, you know, different places and different foods. What is the best meal you've ever had? Well, you know, it's really hard to say. And, you know, if I really thought about it, it might be a different answer than this one. But the one that pops in my head was when we lived in Kansas City and we ate at the American which is just a fabulous five-star. I think we had a seven-course meal while wow. there. Yes. Every single course was phenomenal. In my experience, I haven't even eaten like there, but the pricier and the more stars, the smaller the portions. Yes, this is <laughs> true. <laughs> if you just ate the first portion, you'd be hungry for the rest of the night. But by the time you finish seven courses, wow. you know, it's just very good. Every course was presented. One course is cleared. You wait a few minutes and the next course is presented. And then eventually the master chef comes out to check on you. Wow. So that's, you know, they come out and and ask you, how was your meal? What did you like about it? They'll even spend a few minutes sometimes if they think you're interested, which I was, they explained how they prepared. 
you know, so the chef is very proud of what they do. How much does that cost? Do you remember? About 300 Wow. We don't do that very often. And it was really something that was really unique and very good. Someone tuning in might think, oh, is, are they going to do a, an episode on cooking? <laughs> and we're not, because what we're actually going to be talking about is the second season of parenting. And it's related to what you were talking about. You mentioned that you'd met a master chef. And that's what moms are, that they're like a master chef. Because if we look at the big picture, we're talking about four-ish, five-ish to eight to ten-ish right. that season. Yep. And one of the things that's really important that season is training. Well, yeah, because if you look how a master chef has to run their kitchen, they have all the way down to the person that just brings the food out and places it before them. They have another person who chops certain things. They have another person who works with the sauces. The master chef is supervising and wandering around the kitchen, looking at everything, tasting, correcting, showing them, good, you did that correctly. No, 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 don't put that in there. And then at the end, he makes sure that everything is assembled and is perfect. Right. And they're called sous chefs. Correct. This is such a good parallel to what we're trying to talk about during this particular season because we don't want them to stay just the carrot chopper. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We want them to become master chefs of their life. Yes. Personally, I find this is a really sweet season. At the time, and even retrospect, I found this is the easiest relationally. Things are simple. Yes. They're not as complicated as they'll be in the near future. Like I've seen videos. You can see all the food videos. Yeah. There are. That chef is alongside all those people. And I think that's a real key to this because we call these the training years. So I love when you watch that, what you're talking about is the alongside, that that chef is not just barking orders. That's He's right. He's coming alongside each of those sous chefs. And taking the time to make sure that they know how to chop carrots. Cheryl, why do you think this time in life, these training years are important and exactly what are they? So we've mentioned the time span it is. And it has to actually do with the word scientifically and physically with pruning. Oh. Now you have a lot of roses. How many varieties do you have? I think I have 13. You prune your roses. Why? Well, for lots of reasons. One, it stimulates growth. Mm -hmm. You take off the weak parts and you take off the diseased parts and Anything that isn't flourishing, you take it off because then it'll send messages to the rose bush to hurry up and bloom and grow and mm -hmm. be healthy. Okay, and so our little rose bushes, <laughs> our children, in their brain, the thing that works in the brain is really an electronic thing, and it's neurons. And so neurons are the things that work to make you remember things, to uh, restore things, to learn new things. and with neurons, we're born, who knows, I don't even know how many billion yeah. babies have because they have physical growth to do and then all the learning that they do about everything. Turning over, swallowing. Yeah, every single thing every, for them is brand new. About two and then about mm, 11 along in there, which are the bookends of the season, God created brains do a massive pruning and they get rid of the neurons, you know, maybe hundreds of thousands of neurons that aren't needed 
or like you say, they're not working well or whatever, it clears them out for the next stage of big growth. That's why a one-year-old is so different from a two-year-old. Yeah. Because they've finished the big growing and now you have that big pruning process, which makes it a little bit challenging. Two-year-olds can be a bit a different challenge. And same thing, when you get up into just very, very early end of preteen, teen, there's some challenge there. And part of that is this pruning process with getting out the neurons. So it's sort of like we have a really good clean slate during these years that you've cleared out the unusable portions. And then now they're just open, learning, growing like you're Rose bushes. Yeah, and they've learned the basic skills like walking and talking, and now you can refine. That's right. And so we want to use these so well for that purpose. And personally, I think it's a much simpler season because it's a calm, maybe between a little bit of two storms yeah. in some of the seasons. But like my children in that age, they could do things a lot for themselves. They knew how to tie their shoes. They knew how to make their bed. Basic caregiving for themselves. Yes. And they still thought you're the most wonderful thing in the world. And, you know, my daughters wanted to still live with me forever. And I remember one of them early on, she said, well, we'll just build up a second story. And my husband and my family and I can live upstairs. <laughs> so relationally, I think it's a little smoother. And that's what we want to take advantage of in this season to do the training. Well, that, I totally agree. Cheryl, that's a really important time is this training time. How do we train? I mean, how do we keep a relationship with our children, train them without being overbearing or nagging or lecturing? Huh. You know, I remember sometimes when I would catch myself and actually kind of have my pointer finger wagging a little bit. <laughs> and that was definitely for me, whoops, this is lecture. And it's interesting because I read again, um, who knows, neuropsychologist or I don't know what he was. And he said, well, the reason that you don't lecture children is because it doesn't work. Well, yes. It's, it's tolerated, but, if, but it doesn't work well because he said it's active engagement. That's what trains children the best. They learn the best when there's active engagement between whatever it is that's trying to teach them and work with them and themselves. Well, that's true because when you're lecturing, whether in the classroom or as a parent, you can see that little click where they kind of turn off and their eyes glaze over. And, and it's not just because you're boring. Right. It's they aren't learning it. Right. Because this active engagement, the best word for that is dialogue. And so when I'm lecturing, I'm not dialoguing with my children. No, you're a monologue. Mm -hmm. Of course, we're actually teaching certain conduct. But what's really important, the big picture, just like we talked about when we did chores, it isn't just skills that we want to teach them, but we want to train them in their character. We want to lay a foundation for their life of principles and values. Those are the goals. The skills are right. the, the tool we use to help get them there, but really the goal is their character development. I wish I had understood all the big picture that we're trying to explain. Can you think of something like where you were trying to, you were training, but you did have the bigger picture 
of what was a value? What would be a value if you're telling them we're going to sit very still in the dentist office and not run around or run up down the aisles of the grocery store or pull books off the shelf in the library? I think giving your children the reasons why you don't run through the grocery store there is respect for others because ultimately that's why we have manners. That's why we do courteous things to other people is because we're respecting them. And it clears a pathway to in interact and have relationships with people when you treat them with respect. We would actually role play. We do a lot of role playing during this season, practicing what we're Well, doing. that gives them confidence yes. when they get to do that. Confidence and we can tweak it. Did you have to, did you train your kids to sit still military, they just had to sit still everywhere. Well, yeah, we kind of had a sit still and be quiet life because any of the functions we went to, they were expected to stand quietly, sit quietly. And, you know, I did train them, but it was also you're in that environment. So when they would look around, all their peers were being quiet. And if they weren't, they were getting dirty looks from other people. So, so that was the culture. Reinforce. I don't even know if it's done anymore if the military still functions that oh, same way. You know, because things are very different. You know, sometimes you can parent like your child's a dog. Huh. You know, I'm a very good dog trainer. I don't know if I'm always a good kid trainer because I'm very strict. I know what I want our dogs to do, how, and when I'm engaged with our dogs and they're well-trained, which we've had in the past, not presently, but in the past, you know, I spent time so that I only had to say, sit once, come, whatever. But that's behavior modification. Correct. That's and you're kind to your dog. You weren't cruel. No, no. But you're not worried about the soul of the dog. No, they didn't get crushed. They still got food. They still got love. But a child is so much more complicated than that. Yes, we need to know that if we ask our child to stop doing something, that they're able to stop doing that. But, you but wanna... the priority is their soul and their yes. spirit. To love them well enough to walk them through, yes. which is something we have to learn. And it takes time. But you have to train yourself before you can train them. Remember, it's not about the skills so much as the principles that we want to embed yeah. in their hearts. And so one of the principles, particularly heading towards teen years, is with freedom and privilege come responsibility. So that's a pattern we have. So let's go to the grocery store. They want the freedom and privilege of not having to sit in the cart or stand next to me or hold on to the cart. They want the freedom to walk around and do what they want. And you're welcome to do that. But you have to show respect to everybody else and to listen and respect what I tell you. So if they were doing what they were supposed to do, it was fine. Right. And they just enjoyed them stuff and they were showing respect to other people and not pulling things off. Look at the freedom and the privilege they got when they were responsible. When they weren't, we would dialogue about it. If they weren't, still weren't being responsible, then they had to walk next to me. Right. And yeah. then even worse, they had to hold on to the side of the cart. If it got even more serious, they had to sit in the cart. Cart jail. <laughs> <laughs> and it really got their attention. Yeah. It's like that. So that we're teaching the deeper principles, but we're requiring that they are walking in what we're training. So at home, we would talk before we went, what kind of place we're going into. Is this a you need to sit still and be completely quiet? Or is this a keep your hands behind your back store? Okay, explain that. If you went into a store where there's a lot of glass or things that you don't want your children touching, things that are going to break, 
That's when you ask them. You can look, but you can't touch. I remember one time my son, we we told him, no, you can't touch that Christmas tree. You know, keep your hands off the Christmas tree. Well, the next thing I looked over and he was licking the Christmas tree. <laughs> and he said, I didn't touch it. I licked it. <laughs> so <laughs> sometimes you have to be a little more specific. <laughs> Depending on your child. Let me share, kind of illustrate what we're talking about. So my older son, Alex, he really was shy and began to understand that. So he was young, maybe four or five. So back in the day, you had to actually go places to do things. <laughs> you couldn't take a picture of a check or have it deposited to a bank. You had to actually go in the bank. So regularly, every other week, we would go into the bank up to the tellers and deposit bills. Paycheck. Paycheck. Yeah. And so it was a big deal because they always had suckers. And so they're sitting right there on the counter and he knows about it. And we have talked about interacting and thanking her when she gives it to him. But he was just so shy. And so what we did is at home... We would talk about, do you want to speak to her? Yes, I do, Mom. I really do. So we would practice. So then we on our way there, say, you feel like you really want to do it? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And we would go up there, and he's all pumped for it. He's <laughs> really ready. You can see him. And then she would turn and look at him and say, would you like a sucker? And he'd just drop his head. <laughs> and I would say, thank you so much. And slowly then one day he actually kind of picked his eyes up a little bit and said, thank you. And it was a victory. Right. Because it was his first time. But we did a lot of training to give him the confidence. Yes. This wasn't a character issue. He was just young, and, and that was a big, big step for him. And it was an area of his weakness. Right. And so what we want to do is strengthen his weakness. And now <laughs> he's an internationally trained leadership development coach. <laughs> okay. So the moms are saying, oh, great. Now... You've added another thing. How are we going to work all of this we've talked into their already busy schedule? Well, I think, like everything, keep it simple. Keep it simple so your children understand exactly what you're asking of them, if that means repeating it back and explaining it so that there isn't a miscommunication, and then you know what their intent is if you've asked them to walk and they run. Yeah, you have to set, set aside time. You have to make sure that you have time in your life where you can do these things with your child. All of us as moms are super busy. We have things that are many times just out of control. But by communicating daily and making sure, what, regardless of what the situations are, that you take the time and you explain so that they understand, not lecture, but with dialogue. Yes, discuss together. What is the expectations? What are the things that are needed to be done? How does this look when we go into a store or whatever the situation? I like that. And see, I like this term dialogue because they might say, well, mom, but I don't understand. They may have questions like licking, right. yes. licking the Christmas tree, thinking, oh, I just can't touch it with my hands, but maybe I can. She didn't say my tongue. <laughs> but we're back to this again, just like we did with chores. We've got to simplify your life. Yes, as the a mom. Most, you don't just need clock time. You need emotional and, and width. Yes, and energy. 
and you've got to have that energy. So you're going to have to rob that from something else. So you have the bandwidth and the physical time to do what you really want to do. Because I think that's where most of us as moms get frustrated because we run out of time or we haven't prioritized our day. We wind up yelling or lecturing or being the kind of mom we really don't want to be. So make sure that you save time for yourself to go through in your own mind what you want in different situations for your children, because that's really important that you know this is how I want them to behave in the store or expected to sit still. And so just, you know, knowing what what you need them to do and being able to communicate that with them. Okay, we've run out of telling, but we're excited. Next time we're going to do another Keeping It Real. We're having moms come back in here that are actually in this age period, have multiple children, and we're going to just talk about this, what it's like to live in the second season of parenting. That sounds good. So moms, remember, hang in there. Keep loving. Keep persevering because it's worth it. Yes, it is. Thank you so much for listening to the Parenting Podcast. We hope it was encouraging to you and maybe gave you some new ideas to help or just a little lift in your parenting day. Remember, we drop our episodes every Thursday, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any. Like or share or leave your comments. We would love to hear from you. Feel free to go to our website, theparentingpodcast.com, where you can find talk notes and other resources. And of course, follow us on social media. We're glad you were here today and look forward to next time.